Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.58 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 24th of August, 2021. This is episode 466 of Bitcoin, and I cannot go to BitBlockBoom this year. Yep, I know. I kept saying that I was. I had the ticket. You know, it's like I bought it, like, you know, right after I got back from the one last year. So I got the early bird special on that one, and I cannot go. And there are reasons behind that. I won't get into all of them, but it is, it's merely a travel issue. No, I'm not on the no-fly list, as far as I know. <laughs> It's been a while since I've flown, since I might be, so I might be on the no-fly list and I wouldn't know about it, but <clears throat> I hate flying. And I, 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 am, I am certainly not going to subject myself to this bullshit that's going on right now. I'm just not, okay? But I do not have a second car right now because we gave our second car to my wife's friend who was pregnant and also has a small child, and her car was failing on her, and there is no way, ethically or morally, that I, that me and my wife could stand around just having a second car that we really weren't using as just a backup while this woman was, like, breaking down on the interstate a couple of times, like, more than once, with her, you know, five-year-old son and she's pregnant? No, no, that's not going to work. Bullshit. Uh -uh. So we just gave her the fucking car. And because of that, I don't have a second car that I can take to Dallas to go to BitBlockBoom21, right? So here's the deal. I'm giving my ticket away. No, I'm not selling it. I'm not raffling it. I kind of got a contest going on, but it's it's just honestly, it's like, it's just me basically saying, well, here's what, here's what, here's my tweet. I, I cannot go to BitBlockBoom this year and to make myself feel better, I'm giving my ticket away. Shill me or Bitcoin and, I don't know, take my av and put it into some kind of compromising situation, whatever, bruh. Just make sure to tag me in the tweet. You have 24 hours, go. Now, I sent that shit last, yesterday at, what time was it? Uh, 1.25 p.m. Central Daylight Time. So at about 1.25 Central Daylight Time today, I will tweet out, you know, basically who I'm going to give my ticket to. So it's kind of a contest. It's kind of not a contest. I don't know. I mean, you know, I know people get tired of that shit and the shameless self-promotion, but hey, I got a ticket to BitBlock Boom. That shit, as far as I can tell, is sold out. And I got a ticket and just like I had an extra car, I need to give it to somebody who's going to put this shit to good use. So today at around 1.30 p.m. Central Daylight Time, I'm going to tweet out who's getting that damn ticket. So just be aware. Now, with all that said, <clears throat> Substack uh, subscription platform uh, adds Bitcoin lightning payments. Nice. Dude, I was not expecting this. Substack's pretty cool, by the way. If you don't uh, have not actually, you know, seen a newsletter or anything like that, go out from Substack and you, I don't know, if you, if you haven't seen it, well, then you don't, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you do know what I'm talking about, uh, Substack, and I think Ghost is one of the other ones that's pretty cool. Uh, this is a pretty big platform. So let's get into it. Alex McShane is talking about it from Bitcoin Magazine. Independent online publisher Substack, with over half a million subscribers, announced on Monday that it has integrated Bitcoin Lightning payments in collaboration with OpenNode, a payment processor offering Bitcoin and Lightning optimized API solutions for business. 
OpenNode will now power both on-chain and off-chain Bitcoin and Lightning payments on the Substack platform, meaning journalists and writers can now effectively make a living in Bitcoin as independent writers. Well, I guess if you're good and you have enough subscribers, then maybe, but uh, just because you're taking Lightning payments does not a living make, okay? You got to actually have, you know, people pay, actually give you, you know, Satoshis, whatever. Nick Inuchi, Inzuchi? Yeah, Nick Inzuchi, product designer at Substack, commented, quote, we're excited to be working with OpenNode to enable independent publishers on Substack to accept crypto payments, end quote. He continued by saying, having this option will give writers more flexibility and freedom, and we look forward to doing more in crypto to meet, meet writers' needs. For now, instantaneous lightning payments are only available to a, quote, select group of crypto-focused public publications. Subscribers to those publications will be able to pay their subscription fees in Bitcoin, and the lightning-enabled publication can withdraw their earnings in Bitcoin as well. Joe Alameda, I think, co-founder and CTO at OpenNode, stated our partnership will allow content creators across the Substack ecosystem to accept Bitcoin payments and retain earnings in Bitcoin or convert to preferred currencies. Writers and podcasters have flocked to Substack to regain creative and financial freedom and Bitcoin is a natural fit. All right, so there's the announcement, essentially. And I was, for a little while, kind of synopsizing the daily podcast in written form uh, on Substack and got a, I don't know, I got a little bit of traction, but honestly, at, you know, I was doing it around February and let's see, yeah, by March when all hell broke loose and this was like, uh, like, yeah, last year when all hell broke loose, um, uh, you know, I just kind of stopped doing it. And so I'm probably going to revisit this uh, because they are accepting Bitcoin payments and lightning. Uh, but I don't know if it's going to be a newsletter. And also I kind of looked, you know, at my Substack account and I can't find a button uh, to accept lightning payments. So I guess I'm not one of the content creators that is able to accept Bitcoin payments at this time. Because, you know, honestly, they're going to pilot this and that that's what this looks like. It looks like it's a pilot program. I'm not included in the pilot program. I'm not all butthurt about it. It's okay. It'll roll out whenever it is that they're going to roll it out. But this is this is good for Bitcoin, honestly. Now, <clears throat> speaking of Lightning, the Lightning Network is growing rapidly and changing Bitcoin's payment narrative. Joshua Creighton is writing this one for BTC Times. The growth of Bitcoin's Lightning Network has exploded in recent weeks. Several key metrics used to measure the network size and connectivity have reached all-time highs. Among them, the public node count, which, after reaching 10,000 only in April, has since surpassed the 25,000 mark, according to data from 1ML. Meanwhile, the network's capacity has reached over 2,300 Bitcoin at the time of writing, and that is a 21% increase in the last month and a 35% increase, percent increase since mid-June when the BTC Times last reported on the Lightning Network's growth. These numbers come just weeks before El Salvador's Bitcoin law goes live on September 7th, which is set to effectively make Lightning a primary payment method for the Central American nation. Perhaps more impressive is that these Lightning metrics are likely underestimated due to the private nature of the Lightning network. A significant number of Lightning nodes and channels are private, which makes exact tracking difficult. In 2020, BitMEX research estimated that as much as 27.8% of Lightning network channels containing around 12% of network capacity are not being tracked. The Lightning network is a scaling solution that addresses the trade-offs that come with the decentralized and immutable nature of Bitcoin, namely low throughput, potentially high fees, and transaction latency. Lightning allows Bitcoin transactions to take place off-chain via peer-to-peer -peer channels. Despite the absence of a third party, Lightning is highly scalable thanks to its routing capabilities. Instead of each participant having to open a channel with every party they want to transact with, 
transactions automatically find the quickest route through the network utilizing already existing connections. The end result is a near instantaneous payment system with almost zero fees and high energy efficiency. Lightning is capable of completing millions of transactions per second, making it the preferred scaling solution among many Bitcoiners. Despite the clear need for Lightning, early users often found the network cumbersome and difficult to use. Recent technological improvements have drastically changed that experience, and some of the updates include on-demand node services. One of the primary barriers to early Lightning adoption was the technical knowledge needed for users to manage their own nodes and channels. Custodial services allowed some users to bypass those difficulties, but with the downside of having to trust the service provider to handle their funds. Lightning software is improving to the point where users can easily spin up self-managed nodes using cloud infrastructure without having to set up any hardware themselves, and this greatly reduces the technical barriers to mainstream adoption. Atom <clears throat> Atomic Multipath Payments Another key breakthrough was the introduction of Atomic Multipath Payments in 2019. Rather than requiring each channel to carry sufficient liquidity for an entire payment to pass through, each payment can be broken into pieces and combined across various channels to more reliably, reliably find a route to its destination. Taproot. The activation of widely anticipated upgrade Taproot will come with privacy improvements to Lightning as well, adding to the privacy of payment routing. El Salvador's Lightning adoption. Well, when El Salvador officially makes Bitcoin legal tender on September the 7th, which is two weeks from now, it is anticipated that the Lightning Network will be doing most of the heavy lifting day to day, serving as the backbone of the country's payment infrastructure. The successful implementation of Lightning via projects like Bitcoin Beach in El Zante served as an inspiration for El Salvador's Bitcoin law. This is possibly facilitating further adoption in the country as both merchants and citizens prepare for September 7th. Meanwhile, Bitcoiners outside El Salvador have been invigorated with a new excitement for the Layer 2 solution in anticipation of its large-scale rollout. When Lightning adoption gains... Oh, sorry. With Lightning adoption gaining speed, a new wave of popular third-layer tools and applications are springing up on top to provide entirely new use cases. So, we have a couple of examples here. Strike, well, you know Strike. Strike and its CEO Jack Mallers played a key role in bringing Bitcoin and Lightning adoption to El Salvador, but Strike's growth and popularity extends beyond the small Central American country and is growing quickly across the world. The payment application utilizes Lightning to offer instant, nearly free cross-border payments. There's also Sphinx Chat. Sphinx Chat is a chat application and live streaming service via which jo users join tribes and send micropayments to support their favorite content creators, creating incentives for creators to grow organic followings without having to rely on sponsors. Now there's Zebedee, and they bring micropayments to online gaming. Their Lightning Wallet allows users to send Satoshis to each other in virtual worlds. And then we have, rounding this all out, Impervious.ai, which provides a popular and easy to use API for developers to build applications on top of Lightning. So what does it all say about Bitcoin? In recent years, a popular narrative has emerged that Bitcoin is merely an excellent store of value, but not suitable for widespread use on a daily basis. Lightning network adoption directly challenges this narrative via a dynamic network of innovative payment solutions and real world applications that is being built using Bitcoin's second layer technology. Yeehaw, bitches. Yeah, so Lightning is uh, Lightning is going to get a real test. Actually, you know what? I don't I don't actually think that that's true. I think we've been testing the living snot out of the Lightning network for damn near over a year. And I I honestly just don't see they're going, you know, as they're being structural problems inside of lightning when that shit goes live in El Salvador in two weeks. That doesn't mean that this shit won't be without problems. I guarantee it. There's going to be problems, but I don't think it's going to be internally structural. I'm pretty sure that shit's already been cleaned up. It's going to be external. It's going to be <clears throat> user interface, people not understanding the user experience, 
them getting used to the user experience, them finally learning, oh, this is how you do it. And then from, you know, from then on, it's going to be smooth sailing. But be aware, for the first couple of months, any problem at all that any user in El Salvador has with the Lightning Network is going to be latched upon like a dog with a bone by any idiot in the media that wants to have something bad to say about Bitcoin. So just do mentally prepare yourself for all the news stories that come out on September the 8th that basically state Bitcoin has failed in El Salvador, all right? And you may not actually want to listen to any of that bullshit. There sure as shit ain't listening to it in Africa. Documenting Bitcoin or at Documenting BTC on Twitter tweeted out yesterday, Africa now has the largest amount of Bitcoin peer-to-peer trading volume in the world, even more than North America. And sure enough, Sub-Saharan Africa basically blows the living doors out of everybody just peaking right above North America and then North America's, you know, like wiping the floor with Asia Pacific. Latin America is number four on the list, by the way. Then there's Western Europe. Then there's Eastern Europe. And then way down there, down at the bottom, we have Middle East and North Africa and Australia and New Zealand. So <clears throat> I'm telling you, man, after Latin America, it's it's Africa. And when... It's Latin America, Latin America, and Cent- and Africa, the continents. Okay, not the kind. Of, Africa is not a country. Some people actually think that, but it's not. It's a fucking continent full of countries. When that shit gets lit up, and we've already got Latin America lit up, watch out. I don't know what. I have no idea what's going to happen at all. I can't. Nobody can predict what's coming. All I know is, is that if Africa as an entire continent of nations just becomes steeped in Bitcoin and lightning, dude, shit is going to get fucking lit. Now, speaking back about El Salvador, El Salvador sets up 200 ATMs and 50 kiosks for exchanging Bitcoin. This is CoinGape. <clears throat> There's no way that I can pronounce this gentleman's name. So I'm not. but. It's something like Bouchon Akaltkar, I think. I don't know. It's just a matter of a few days. And Bitcoin will become a legal tender in the Latin American country of El Salvador. The preparations for the same are currently on track. The pro-Bitcoin El Salvador president, Nayib Bukele, announced that his country will open 200 Bitcoin ATMs and 50 Bitcoin kiosks by September the 7th. These ATMs will allow Bitcoin users to convert their BTC to USD and later withdraw in the form of cash. All the transactions will be processed through the government's Chivo app and there will be no transaction fees. President Bukele further added, quote, our country pays $400 million U.S. in a year in commissions on remittances. A Salvadoran abroad will be able to send money instantly to their relative in El Salvador you can send your Bitcoin if you want, or you can send dollars if you want, end quote. Besides, the government is also setting up a $150 million fund to back the BTC to USD conversions. El Salvador's Bitcoin law goes into effect on September the 7th. All the local citizens can download the government's native Chivo digital wallet. Upon signing up, users will get 30 bucks worth of BTC inside of their digital wallet. El Salvador's <coughs> excuse me, finance minister, Alejandro Zelaya, recently appraised the media of all these developments in a local TV interview on Monday. El Salvador is taking every possible measure to push BTC adoption. The Latin American country recently released two draft re- regulations that focus specifically on BTC distribution by commercial banks. The central bank recently published two draft documents for offering Bitcoin products in the country. The draft regulation makes it clear that any financial institution looking to dabble in Bitcoin must undergo the country's regulatory process. Herein, the central bank, BCR, will have access in real time to all information related to the operations carried out as well as information requested by clients. So, what does the El Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele have to say about all this? And I quote, 
If someone wants to continue loading cash, not receive entry bonus, not win over customers who have Bitcoin, not grow your business, and pay commissions on remittances, you can have fun staying poor, bitches. Okay, it's not exactly a direct quote, but close enough. El Salvador's president insists Bitcoin use will not be mandatory. So for all the people out there that have been crying and, and, and bitching and moaning about, oh, they're forcing the poor El Salvadorans to use Bitcoin, I don't think so. And it was never that way. So the, here we have the president coming back out and saying it again. If you don't want to use Bitcoin, you can have fun staying poor. Scott Cipollina tells us more about it from Decrypt.co. With El Salvador's Bitcoin project just two weeks away, the president uh, said that using the cryptocurrency will not be mandatory for citizens. Quote, this will be what happens on September the 7th. People will be able to download an application to receive payments or gifts in Bitcoin or U.S. dollars. If they want, they will download the app. And if they don't want to, no. He tweeted that today, apparently. <clears throat> the app is the country's official Bitcoin digital wallet called Chivo. Chivo will reportedly allow Salvadorans to accept Bitcoin, open a small business, and send Bitcoin without commission charges. But in the face of criticism against forcing Salvadorans to adopt Bitcoin, it appears the president is giving those uninterested in Bitcoin, and there are many, a backdoor. Probably not as many as you think, though. Decrypt hates Bitcoin, by the way. Quote, if you don't want to, you can always go to the Western Union queue and pay commission. That's no problem, the president added in a thread. Continuing on, he says, and what if someone doesn't want to use Bitcoin? Well, nothing. Do not download the app and continue your normal life, he added. The president also said, if someone wants to continue loading cash, not receive entry bonus, not win over customers who have Bitcoin, not grow your business and pay commission and remittances, you can keep doing it. But there's one problem. President Bukele's thread directly contradicts an article in the country's Bitcoin law written earlier this year. If we read El Salvador's Bitcoin legislation, literally it tells prospective service providers that they will be forced to accept Bitcoin when it is offered as a means of exchange. <clears throat> Quote, every economic agent must accept Bitcoin as payment when offered to him by whoever acquires a good or service, reads Article 7 of El Salvador's law. You better get to the second article, otherwise I'm going to burn you fucking down, decrypt. That, in turn, makes it difficult to understand what Bukele means when he says people do not have to embrace Bitcoin after September 7th. They're not going to say it, are they? Elsewhere in the thread, the president said that there will be 200 ATMs that will be everywhere in the country, bitches. He also said <clears throat> there will be Chivo kiosks built everywhere in the country and that they are designed to help citizens understand how to use the app, how to withdraw or deposit funds, and generally offer help on how Bitcoin works. Excuse me a moment while I go find the other article in the legislation that tells Decrypt to shove it straight up their ass. You see, boys and girls, right after Article 7 is Article 8 in the Bitcoin law. Without prejudice to the actions of the private sector, the state shall provide alternatives that allow the user to carry out transactions in Bitcoin and have automatic and instant convertibility from Bitcoin to USD if they wish. Furthermore, the state will promote the necessary training and mechanisms so that the population can access Bitcoin transactions. Between Article 7 and Article 8 is what we call a gray area that no legislator in their right mind would ever even try to legislate. Laws, by the way, can be written with an interpretable function. Right? It's, you don't have to write a law that spells out exactly what foot you're going to lead off with when you start a walk. It doesn't have to be the left. It doesn't have to be the right. But you are going to use one foot and you're going to put it in front of the other and then you're going to continue that chain of events and that's what we call a walk. All right? Article 7 is the left foot. Article 8 is the right foot. You don't have to accept Bitcoin if you can't. That was one of the major points when Naib Bukele started this entire thing. He was saying, look, if you don't know how to use it, you don't have to use it. We're going to promote it. We hope you use it. It'll be good for you if you do use it, but you don't have to use it. 
Article 7 can be interpreted, right? I don't think at all. Now, if they do, fuck them. But if I don't think that the following is going to happen, I set up a little shop selling, I don't know, chorizo burritos for breakfast. And I say, you know what? I'm not going to accept your Bitcoin. I don't think that a, that that customer is going to immediately call the cops on me. And if they did, they're an asshole and I'll never serve them again. I don't think the cops are going to come down and say, you better take that boy's Bitcoin. And, uh, oh, I see that you don't have any setup at all to, you know, take Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah. We're going to put your ass in chains. Now, if this does happen, like I said, fuck them. I don't think that's going to happen. If they really want this to work, they're going to let people of El Salvador come to it organically. They are not going to shove it down the people's throats. I know what Article 7 says, guys. I'm reading it right now. Every economic agent must accept Bitcoin as payment when offered to him by whoever acquires a good or service. How are we going to interpret him? Does that mean chicks can't fucking do this shit either? Well, no. That's an interpretable portion of Article 7. Him or her. It can be a her. I'm saying is you, if... If you only ever read legislation completely literally and don't try to do it with the United States legislation, you'll just end up in a coma. But in like a law like this, that is literally, you can read it inside of 10 minutes or five minutes. You, you can look at it and, and kind of start to understand what's going on here. They want people to use it. They're not going to force people to use it, but they have to have something in place that over time can literally be interpreted as, yeah, we accept Bitcoin. It's legal tender in the country. And I doubt very seriously that they're going to put some poor asshole in jail because they didn't sell somebody an empanada and take Bitcoin for it. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm just done with the discussion. It, I'm, I'm sick. Like I literally just went to like DuckDuckGo and searched Bitcoin law to get the text so that I could look at Article 8, right? And the very first, I, I El Salvador's Bitcoin law, enter. And first thing up, Wall Street Journal article. Let me see if I actually, hold on for a second. Let me, let me see what the actual search results said. Yeah. So I put in El Salvador Bitcoin law. And the first fucking thing that comes up is the Wall Street Journal. Bitcoin law in El Salvador denies its people a choice. That's bullshit. That's a lie. Wall Street Journal just lied to their entire readership. They just lied. It does not deny its people a choice. You have a choice. You can use dollars or Bitcoin before you could only use US dollars. That's denying your people a choice. By opening up the country to Bitcoin, Bukele gave his people a choice. I don't understand how Wall Street Journal and the drivel that they continuously spill out has enabled them to, I don't know, pay reporters, rent, air conditioning. I don't know, because it's all bullshit. And it's not just them. There's like a whole other slew of people saying, oh, it denies them a choice. Oh, they're forcing it down their throat. No, that's not happening. All right, so please just stop it. And if you got your STEMI check, Dude, buy Bitcoin because $1,200 stimulus checks would now be worth $8,765 if used to buy Bitcoin. Uh, Let's see. Alex McShane is writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Your $1,200 stimulus check would be worth around $8,765 today if you'd bought Bitcoin with it back in April of 2020. On March the 27th, 2020, after the United States government had brought our economy to a screeching halt through lockdowns and other mandates and a turbulent and misleading overreaction to the natural spread of a flu, President Donald Trump signed into law the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, also known as the CARES Act. Oh, they care about us. $1,200 payments were made to every American earning under the income limits which were set at an adjusted gross income of $75,000 or 150 grand for married couples filing jointly. The majority of Americans fall into this category. This event escalated an already out of control inflation problem in the US. The CARES Act brought $2.2 trillion 
more into the economy and set the precedent for even more money printing. The problem of printing more money is that of decreasing marginal utility. As the Fed prints, the amount of money they need to fund whatever they like increases, and the subsequent printings must be of increasingly greater quantities to be of any consequence at all. But do not be fooled. Money printing is not even a quick fix. It does nothing to stimulate the economy long term. Inflation is a covert, slow form of tra taxation, and it thrives on your time like a fucking vampire. The negative effects of inflation are felt by bankers and those who work in or with the government in high positions of power, those who are closest to the money printer last. <laughs> Inversely, the effects are felt by the average Americans and those abroad whose economy our government disastrously intervenes in to centrally plan first. The Cantillon effect in the United States government rising the, raising the temperature ever so slightly, almost imperceptibly, so that you, the frog, don't jump out of their fabled melting pot. The misconception that we need inflation to support a growing population is an insidious robbery of every hour that you have spent working. It is reckless. It is nearsighted. It is infantile. It is a breathtaking display of poor strategy. The value of your $1,200 stimulus check, if left in dollars, has only depreciated. The value of your stimulus check held in Bitcoin has only appreciated. This is because, unlike the dollar, the supply of Bitcoin is ultimately fixed. Bitcoin has historically been adopted and purchased at a rate that far exceeds its ever-decreasing transparent and scheduled inflation rate. Thus, historically, Bitcoin has been great for both creating and maintaining wealth. So the next time someone hands you a couple of free Petro dollars, buy Bitcoin. Let's run the numbers. Well, somehow shiny metal rocks have found their way over 1800 bucks. We'll get to that in a second. First, Flammable liquids, sort of on fire, but they're they're just gaining momentum after being crushed for the last, apparently, since I've been on vacation. Uh, West Texas Intermediate coming in at $66.77. That is a 1.7% rise in price on a percent. Uh, Brent North Sea up 1.8% to $70. Natural gas is up a half a point just below four bucks a thousand cubic feet and gasoline futures up point oh no 1.44 percent two dollars and 15 cents a gallon of course gasoline futures don't really reflect what you're paying at the pump and if you live in california that may be closer to five bucks so just these are future prices you can't you know just you know, deal with it gold yeah, shit 1807 bucks I don't know how the hell it got back over $1,800, but it did. And that's reflecting a 0.061% rise in price today. Silver up a third. Platinum is up a quarter. Copper is up a third. Palladium is up, oh my, 3.3% to $2,464 an ounce. I guess they sell palladium by the ounce. I'm not, not sure what you, you know. I mean, other than using it in catalytic converters and whatnot and some other industrial uses, I'm not really sure how you buy plate. I don't give a shit. Uh, agricultural futures are mixed. We got soybeans up over a point. What's coffee doing? Okay, coffee is up 1.1%. Everything else is meh. And when we get into it, the, ind the indices are all up, however, up by scant. Not that that matters because once they get into actual trading, God only knows what the hell's going on. In either event, uh, Dow futures are up 0.17%. S&P is up 0.18%. NASDAQ futures is up a quarter. And the S&P mini is up almost a half point. So there you go. Let's talk about real money. 49211 bucks. Had a little bit of a down, down evening yesterday evening and then through early this morning. I have no idea what's going on. It's probably the Substack news because every time I read something that is good for Bitcoin, what's what's the first thing that happens? The price starts going down. I, I, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen, but 262,000 transactions have been performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 11,000 transactions on average per hour. 
And oh, nice, finally, over 1 million Bitcoin have been sent in the last 24 hours. That's about 45,000 BTC every hour on the hour being sent with an average transaction value of 4.11 BTC and a median transaction value of 0 0.017 BTC or right around 836 bucks. And block times are seriously low. Seven minutes and 44 seconds. Gee, I wonder what could be happening. Well, 0 0.07 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis and 13 and a half BTC have been taken in fees over the last 24 hours. Yes, the hash rate <clears throat> has increased somewhat, <laughs> somewhat 14.8% to the upside, bringing us to 144.6 exahashes per second. Yeah, it looks like everybody's plugging their miners back in, people. <clears throat> Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin as usual, and it is up to 31 cents. Ugh, just sickening. So that's what's going on in the shitcoin markets, by the way. We have, holy shit, there's 7,697 transactions waiting on 10 blocks to clear. 10 whole blocks. And block times are at 7 minutes and 44 seconds. Okay, so something's going on. I don't know what, but something's going on. We have a market capitalization of uh, $926.8 billion, which is 7.86% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you can get 27.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin if you so choose. There are, in fact, 18,795,910.25 BTC in circulation at this time, and 2,323 and a third of those are in the Lightning Network which is representing a capacity value of $114.6 million being run over 14,429 nodes that we know about, boasting 66,097 channels also that we know about. Percentage of Tor capacity, 73.7%. That means 1,711.5 BTC are being run over the Tor network in Lightning. And that is being managed by 9,142 Tor nodes that we know about. Now, be, keep that shit in mind. I'm surprised we can even see the Tor nodes. I'm not even sure how they're, they're reckoning that. So, I, whatever. The Lightning Network is inherently more private than the Bitcoin main chain. I do believe the Bitcoin main chain will eventually end up being used to settle billions of dollars. And you'll do that on the main chain. You're not going to want to settle billions of dollars through the Lightning Network. Not that it's not, couldn't potentially be capable of doing it. But if you're only going to pay like 50 bucks to settle like $100 billion, dude, use the main chain. It's much more secure that way. If you're gonna settle for like a hundred bucks, don't use the main chain, especially if fees are high. Just use Lightning. It's not all that hard. Okay, that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We'll start this with Samuel Haig from Cointelegraph giving us the lulls. USDC to consolidate reserves into cash and United States treasuries. <laughs> Talk about bending the knee. Coinbase President and Chief Operating Officer Emil Choi has announced that the reserves backing the stablecoin USDC will be consolidated into cash and government treasuries. A Sunday blog post from the Center Consortium, <clears throat> the entity that was collaboratively established by top U.S. crypto exchange Coinbase and blockchain financial services company Circle, which issues USDC, stated that USD coins reserves will soon be entirely held in cash in short duration U.S. treasuries. On Twitter, Choi attributed the change in policy to backlash against USDC's reserves expanding beyond cash, cash equivalents, and U.S. treasuries in May. The changes to USDC's reserves have not been reported until July, exacerbating public concern regarding the stablecoin's backing. Joy emphasized that the new policy will be in effect by September, noting that USDC's next two attestation reports continue to show a diversified portfolio for the stable token's reserves. Quote, these changes are being implemented expeditiously and will be reflected in future attestations by Grant Thornton, the blog post added. Last month, USDC attestation report for May revealed that the currency was backed 61% by cash and cash equivalents and 12% by U.S. Treasuries. 
CDs or <clears throat> the old fashioned certificates of deposit denominated in US dollars represented 13% of the tokens backing while commercial paper comprised 9% and corporate bonds accounted for five. Municipal bonds also represented 0.2% of the stablecoin's backing. Since launch in September of 2018, USDC has grown to boast a nearly $28 billion market cap and expanded across five different blockchains. In June, Center announced plans for USDC to launch across 10 blockchain networks. Oh, give me more blockchains. So... Yeah, people were like livid when they found out exactly what was backing USDC. I don't use stable coins. I, I don't necessarily think that I need them. Maybe one of these days I will. I don't know. And right now I don't give a shit. I got Bitcoin, so fuck it. Anyway, people were absolutely going ape shit. So Coinbase, in the spineless fashion that they always display, bent the knee and is selling everything but cash and U.S. Treasuries. So they're getting rid of their commercial paper. They're getting rid of municipal bonds. They're selling it all for cash, baby. As to what this will do, I don't know. I, I guess it'll appease the people that were aping around the trees and bitching and yelling and throwing poo at Coinbase. But again, I don't use stable coins. I don't really care. But some of the listeners of this podcast do care, so that's why I'm bringing you USDC news. Now, how Bitcoin mining has evolved to take us to the moon. No way I'm pronouncing this person's name. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll just say the initials AM. Bitcoinmagazine.com brings us this one. Bitcoin hasn't even gotten into its teenage years yet. <clears throat> when Satoshi published his white paper in October of 2008, uh, detailing the creation of a new monetary system, no one knew that in less than 13 years, Bitcoin would rise to a market cap of $850 billion. It would also lead to thousands of other cryptocurrencies, you mean shitcoins, foster an entire financial services industry and become a new asset class that is revolutionizing money as we know it. But Bitcoin doesn't just appear out of thin air. You have to mine it. And with all eyes on the minute-by-minute minute price of Bitcoin, it's expanding adoption. And who's going to tweet what to make the price change? There isn't much attention being paid to Bitcoin mining. Oh, bullshit. There is. I don't know where you got that from, but whatever. What it is, what it does, and the impact it's making worldwide. We've been mining Bitcoin for seven years and have helped the industry evolve and adapt. Here's the story of Bitcoin mining that most people don't know and the trends that have shaped this industry. Bitcoin mining is born. Bitcoin is a system of decentralized currency that acts like gold. It's a store of value and finite commodity. This means that it's limited in supply, making it inflation-proof. Those who want to use Bitcoin don't need to be subject to governmental oversight that could change the value of it or determine who can use it. But where does Bitcoin itself come from? Well, like gold, it must be mined, and not with a pick and shovel, but with a computer. The foundation of Bitcoin is blockchain technology. Miners around the world compete to solve an algorithm that allows them to add a block to the blockchain. Whoever solves the algorithm first takes home the block's transaction fees and a fixed reward of new Bitcoin issuance at this time, 6.25 Bitcoin for, per block, which adds more Bitcoin into circulation. <clears throat> when Bitcoin was first created, mining was easy enough to do from a laptop in a kitchen with a standard CPU, but as more miners joined, competition to be the first to solve the algorithm grew, which meant miners needed more processing power and newer hardware. In order to run more powerful computers efficiently, the price of electricity started to gain importance. Soon, mining got too competitive to be profitable as an individual. <clears throat> In order to be profitable, mining operations had to scale. New mining-specific hardware came on the market and miners set up rigs and trailers and then warehouses where large-scale mining farms with thousands of mining rigs could work at solving the algorithm around the clock. Because of the operational needs for large-scale farming, including layout and design, energy sources, management software, the need for upgraded hardware, and more, Bitcoin mining quickly became a multi-billion dollar industry. 
According to a report by ARK Invest, the cost of the hardware in place to support the ecosystem is around $7.2 billion. And they write that, quote, since the inception of dedicated Bitcoin hardware in 2013, we believe billions of dollars have been spent on design, production, and tape out, spawning an industry dedicated exclusively to manufacturing this robust and specialized hardware, end quote. Bitcoin mining doesn't just have big operations, it has big returns as well. ARK Invest also estimates that miners could make $15 billion in revenue from transaction fees and Bitcoin rewards. Bitcoin competition continues to increase, but because Bitcoin is a finite commodity, there's only so much to compete over. This means that mining operations need to stay as fast and powerful as they possibly can to win the reward. As growing competition in Bitcoin mining raised the compute power requirements, mining shifted to GPUs, utilizing the hardware that usually only gamers needed for high-end games. GPUs were then replaced with application-specific integrated circuits, ASICs, hardware devoted specifically to mining cryptocurrency. ASICs are the fastest and most efficient hardware dedicated to Bitcoin mining and are exclusively in use today. <clears throat> but hardware depends on chips. And while chip technology is accelerating at incredibly quick speeds, chips themselves are in short supply. COVID. This means frequent sellouts on necessary hardware like the recent Bitmain shortage and the need for mining operations to plan their upgrades far in advance. Similarly, Bitcoin mining operations need to keep an to keep on top of ever-evolving technology that's making mining hardware bigger, better, and faster. Because any lag, inefficiency means compromising profit. Today, technology is outpacing innovation, so mining operations need to not only keep up with purchasing new hardware, but must install it quickly as time is of the essence. Even a few days lag is costly, and many mining operations like ours have rented 747s to cut down on shipping time. <laughs> Jesus, good God, y'all. <clears throat> For a long time, over half of the world's mining energy came from operations in China, simply because it was cheaper to set up and faster to ship there from the Chinese factories. But that dominance is dying as China cracks down on mining operations. According to Wired, a shift in Bitcoin's mining geographic or mining's geographic distribution might nevertheless be underway, with operations looking to North America, Europe, or Latin America for places that are more potentially stable. Miners are also looking for places to build operations in Nordic countries, Canada, and the U.S. where there is an abundance of cheap and sustainable energy like wind, solar, and hydro. Despite a lot of recent volatility around Bitcoin, which isn't new, the, uh, the future of Bitcoin is bright and bullish. It will continue to increase in value and attract new investors. And as more people come to understand Bitcoin, where it came from, and the industry around how it's mined, they'll find even greater value in it. Okay, so there's a like sort of a brief, quick history of Bitcoin mining and where it came from and the fact that you probably need to pay attention to it. And I, I still don't understand where he's saying that nobody's talking about mining. Fuck, everybody's talking about mining. And the other thing that I take issue with in this article is that individuals cannot be profitable. Okay, on the surface, that's correct, but there's an entire ocean underneath that. What is profit, first of all? And if I'm not looking at profit in just being able to turn around US dollars, you know, and pay bills with, what am I getting? I'm getting KYC free Bitcoin. Okay, now I'm not mining, okay? I'm not going to subject my wife and my children to the insidious whine of 15 freaking, you know, S19 miners. And I don't really have all that much money to go out and buy them with. However, I certainly am not going to take a big dump over anybody that wants to mine because in the long run, in, in the short term, yeah, you're probably going to lose money. In the long term, you're probably going to make money and that money is going to be yours. The transaction fees that are collected with mining a block are something different because they will have a UTXO history attached to them. But the 6.25 subsidy payment is brand new and has no UTX history. That's probably going to be worth quite a bit. But be aware, at one point, eventually, every UTXO is going to have a history except for those UTXOs 
that were like a mining reward that was immediately lost and lost forever because there are Bitcoin that will never be unlocked. Just be aware. Let's move on. FTX buys naming rights to second stadium for 10 years in $17.5 million deal. If you remember, they bought the Miami Heat naming or, or sorry, they bought the Miami Heat arena naming rights back in March. Now they've bought the rights to Cal Memorial Stadium also for 10 years. Crypto Derivatives Exchange FTX has purchased the naming rights to the University of California's Cal Memorial Stadium with a view to introducing its own branding. Let's hold up right there. What's the difference? They bought the naming rights of University of California's Memorial Stadium. This is a university. The Miami Heat is a pro team. What does this reflect? This reflects that they're going for college ball, whether it's basketball, football, it doesn't really matter. They are taking it to the university level and there's a fuck ton of money in sports in the United States at the university level. Why? <laughs> because they don't have to pay their players, but shit. <laughs> Not that I think that university you know, uh, students should be getting paid to play football. I don't. I also don't think that there should be a multi-billion dollar industry wrapped around people who are supposed to be studying math. And just because you can play football doesn't mean that your university automatically gets to put you in slave chains. I'm sorry, I know this is going to be kind of controversial, but there's, there's a two-way street here. I don't think that the kids should be paid, but I also don't think the industry around college ball should be this big. I don't think ESPN should have the show College Game Day. I don't think that there should be the ability for FTX to be able to buy the naming rights of a university's memorial stadium, right? Y'all should have left it alone. Sadly, we didn't, and here we are, and guess what? It ain't going to change. I'm going to go on. The Sam Bankman-Fried owned derivatives exchanges delving deeper into sports after signing a 10-year $17.5 million naming rights deal with the university. The stadium's home team, the California Golden Bears, will now play its games at newly rebranded FTX Field this football season, according to Bloomberg. $17.5 million will also be paid to the university in the form of crypto assets. That's kind of interesting. The deal is FTX's latest foray into sponsoring sports to drum up awareness of crypto. In March, the North American division, oh God, the North American division of the exchange FTX.us entered into a naming rights deal with the Miami Heat basketball team. The partnership saw the team's home arena rebranded to FTX Arena. The company is also the official crypto exchange of Major League Baseball. As part of the sponsorship deal, which is expected to last for at least five years, every MLB umpire will don an FTX patch on their uniform. God, I didn't even know that. The Cal Memorial Stadium is located in Alameda County, the namesake of Bankman Freed's trading firm, Alameda Research. Some of FTX executives also have longstanding ties to, Cal, to the Cal Golden Bears, with Chief Operating Officer Cena Nader having been a walk-on member of the Golden Bears when he was an undergrad. In June, seven-time Super Bowl champion quarterback Tom Brady and his wife, Giselle Bundchen, I can't pronounce it, partnered with FTX to promote crypto adoption. The deal saw Brady and Bundchen each take equity stakes in FTX and receive crypto. In On July the 20th, uh, Cointelegraph reported that FTX smashed the crypto funding record with a $900 million raise to become an exchange a decacorn, a company worth over $10 billion. <laughs> this entire space is just becoming ridiculous. But whatever. Let's just oh, I got we gotta do this one. Ethereum's most popular software client issues hot fix to high severity bug. Uh, yes, a bug in the geth client. Who would have guessed? I mean, honestly, who would have guessed? Christine Kim has it for Coindesk. Ethereum's most popular software client, Geth, has issued a hotfix to a high-severity security issue in their code. I wonder how long it's been there. The release was posted to GitHub uh, just, uh, well, today, apparently. The details of the fixes weren't disclosed to give node operators and dependent uh, downstream projects time to update their nodes and software, according to a posting on the release page. Ethernodes.org reports that nearly 75% of nodes on Ethereum run Geth, 
All these users are encouraged to upgrade immediately to the latest version of Geth, version 1.10.8, in case you actually give a shit. Guido Franken, a software developer who specializes in finding code vulnerabilities in open source software, announced that he discovered the bug on Wednesday, August the 18th. The last time a fix for a bug in Geth code was released, it caused temporary chain split on Ethereum. Due to a deliberate lack of communication from Geth developers about the bug, several computers, called nodes, did not upgrade their Geth clients to the fixed implementation, which resulted in a blockchain consensus failure in November of 2020. The Geth developer team said in a post-mortem blog at the time that not speaking publicly about the security vulnerability was aimed at delaying any potential attacks on node operators who needed more time to upgrade to the latest version. This time around, Geth developers emphasized in advance the urgent need for all users of their software to upgrade to the latest version, but the initial announcement on August the 18th did not explicitly describe the nature of the vulnerability. Quote, Last time, people were angry that we didn't announce it. This time, we decided to try it differently. Let's see which one works better. Oh, God. Tweeted Geth developer Peter Zilagi about Tuesday's code release. My God. <laughs> Major Ethereum-based wallets and services such as Infura have publicly announced on Twitter their support for the new Geth release. Of course they have. Of course they have. This is ridiculous. Last time people were pissed that we didn't announce it, so we decided to do it different. Is this the attitude going forward? Is this how you're going to do your monetary policy? Oh, I forgot. It's a smart computer or some such shit. It's not actually supposed to be money until they change their mind and all of a sudden it became money for the love of Pete. Oh my God. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Let's do a joke from Dad Says Jokes. I've started telling people about the benefits of dried grapes. It's all about raising awareness. Ah, I need to have more sound effects. It's the only time that I can take a drink of coffee without actually hitting pause and jacking shit up. Anyway. Oh, like, so, reminder. Uh, my ticket to BitBlock Boom 2021, which, by the way, is this weekend. You do not have time to jack around with this. If you want my ticket, I'll do something fun with my avatar. Put him in a compromising position or something. You know, make sure that you tag me in the tweet. Do anything. You got until 1.30 p.m. Central Daylight Time today. That's 1.30 p.m. Central Daylight Time today to get that shit done. So shill me, shill my account, shill my podcast, put my you know, av you know avatar in a compromising situation, do all of it or do one of it. It doesn't really matter. Whatever it is that you do decide to do, make sure you tag me. And also DMing me about the ticket is not actually tagging me in a tweet, <laughs> okay? You gotta do, you gotta do some lifting here, bro. You got to make a tweet. You got to Photoshop my app. You got to do something. I mean, shit, it's a ticket to BitBlock Boom. These things are like, I think this thing's been sold out for a while. You know, do something, but DMing me directly and say, hey, bro, I want your ticket. That's no, no, uh, -uh no, no. You got to do something, okay? So uh, well, let's see, is there anything else that I need to talk about? Oh, yeah. Uh, the layer two application stuff, uh, lightning and whatnot. And then the layer three stuff that's being built on top of that, like Sphinx chat and podcasting 2.0. If you do want to support my show, you can do it through podcasting 2.0. Hey, that rhymes. I might have to actually turn that into a deal in either event. If you so choose pick up like the Sphinx chat or the breeze wallet has a podcasting app play player inside of the wallet. It's not a separate app. If you just download Breeze Wallet, B-R-E-E-Z, the Breeze Wallet, you'll get a podcasting app that's already loaded into the application. All right, so if you do that and you start listening to my show through that app, you can start streaming me Satoshis, and guess what? It goes right to my Lightning node. I've, that's how Podcasting 2.0 works. I submitted my RSS feed, to the guys over at Podcasting 2.0 through their platform, 
and they turned it into, <clears throat> they basically reformatted the RSS feed so that podcasting 2.0 enabled apps will be able to understand what, what address my wallet has. And if you use a podcasting 2.0 app, the RSS feed that enables that lightning address to become exposed will be for all of the podcasting 2.0 apps. You don't have to go look for it. All you have to do is use the podcasting app, use the search function in the podcasting app to search for Bitcoin and, and when you get it, subscribe and start listening it, listening to it and you'll stream me sats. Otherwise you can give me a five-star review on Apple iTunes. This always helps by the way, it gets the word out. And if you do that, I'd be much appreciated. And baby, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.